My friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You join us today as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. I've entitled today's talk, based on the insights that Jesus gives in this passage, Beware of Worry. I feel I need at the very beginning to put a bit of a caveat in on everything I'm going to say and that follows on here. What I'm talking about and dealing with here is the normal worries sometimes become an attitude of chronic worry that people experience in life. Sometimes people use the word anxiety to describe such a state. But I need to put a very clear caveat in about anybody who may be listening to this who is struggling with a situation where they've been diagnosed with a clinical form of anxiety or perhaps someone who has bipolar affected disorder and has an anxiety that arises out of that in the depressive stage anxiety worry or even depression or in fact any anxiety from this type or any other type of chronic long-term mental health condition what we're dealing here is with the standard type of worry where people take real things, maybe blow them up a little bit out of perspective and dwell on them unhealthily. My understanding of anxiety and worry when connected to the depressive phrase or a chronic mental health condition, it is actually the core of those worries. Yes, they may be triggered by real events, but they're usually linked to false thoughts things that aren't too, maybe even a psychosis, which causes the person to believe and worry about things that are in fact exaggerated to the point where they're detached from the reality of the situation they're based in. That type of worry, that type of anxiety is not what I'm talking about in today's passage. For that type of anxiety, you should continue to try and get the help and the advice that you need from clinicians whilst at the same time availing yourself of a supportive Christian community who can help carry you through that stage of this illness. With that said, thanks for joining me. I hope you find today's episodes really helpful in how to deal with worry and how to be aware of just how dangerous and toxic worry can become in the life of everyone. Thanks for being with me today. My friends, welcome to today's episode of the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Today we're covering Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. And before we begin our study of this passage, which I've given the title, Beware of Worry, I'd like to state the fact that in reality, everybody, all of us worry about things sometimes. Some people live in a state of a sort of a low level of constant sort of anxiety or worry. They raise it almost to an art form in their lives. They worry about lots of things all of the time. But if that's the reality of our human experience, then how should we handle it? Well, I'm thrilled to be able to tell you that we're able to approach the best expert that there's ever been when it comes to dealing with issues like that. And I'm sure, well, are you interested if I was to tell you that Jesus gives us some wonderful tools and insights in how to handle this aspect of life? 
We've got to remember that if Jesus is indeed God in human form, then we can also understand that he is the one who knows us, created us, put us together, actually, knows every head in our head. So I think it's really useful, important and helpful if I share with you what Jesus taught about worry and more importantly, how we should deal with it, how we should handle it. And I'll do that first of all. I'll begin by reading the verses we're going to cover today which is a fairly lengthy passage, and then we'll go through it together, section by section. So, it begins Luke chapter 12, verse 22, and it says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than these birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers glow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagans who run the world after all such things, and the Father knows exactly what you need. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you his kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, there's a lot in this passage, but the structure of it is relatively straightforward. The first thing he does is he introduces by saying simply do not worry and after that he establishes uh, well I would say a way to approach life how to manage worry so I think it's worth looking at this again so let's begin with the opening section now before we even get into it we see in verse 22 that he's speaking to his disciples so please note this is important friends this is initially addressed to believers. He's not saying this to unbelievers as becomes more and more evident as the passage progresses. He's talking to people who have recognized him as their Lord. Then looking at verse 22, he begins by saying, therefore. Now I've said before, any time in the Bible where you see the word therefore at the beginning of a passage, you need to ask, what is it there for? Well, in this place, it's obviously, it's a conclusion based, he's going to offer now a conclusion based at what he's just taught. And do you remember what he's just talked about? Well, I know it's what we looked at yesterday, but the basic idea yesterday was about not coveting, not being greedy. So therefore, he says, because of having had that discussion about that, he says you should not worry either. Now, in the latter part of the passage yesterday, he actually told people to lay up 
their treasure in heaven, lay up the things that are rich towards God, not to covet the things of this world, but to desire the things that are riches in the kingdom of God, and lay up those things, an investment, if you like, in your spiritual life. And if you're doing that, then you're in a position where he's saying you don't need to worry about these other things. And this passage here is meant to emphasize the importance of now having made the decision to not to worry, to, to sorry, not to be greedy, not to covet. He's emphasizing the importance of now, there's no logic to worrying about the material things in life anymore, such as food and clothing. Instead, we should be in a position of trusting in God's provision for all those worldly things in our life. So as Jesus is guiding his followers away from a preoccupation with possessions and the anxieties associated with living that way. Isn't this very different to how the gospel is presented by some on the fringes of the church today? So let's break down what he says into the key points and the two things that I think he suggests that we use as strategies to address any potential problem of worry or anxiety in our life. He's telling us right from the get-go that life is not really about material possessions. He recognizes that a lot of worry in people's lives is about, in a sense, getting stuff, but it's about the fear of losing the material possessions, the material securities that they already have. And Jesus is highlighting the significance of life being something that is way beyond just our physical needs. He's contrasting the value of life, the real meaning of life, with the pursuit of pursuing those things, which in essence boil down to nothing more than chasing after food, clothing and material possessions, emphasising that our existence, our very existence and our view of ourselves and God's view of us is not defined in any way by anything we possess. And he uses this wonderful picture when he says, consider the ravens in verse 24. So he uses the examples of birds, but ravens were a type of bird, which as it tells us, didn't sow, didn't store up food, yet like all birds, God provides for them. And then he asks, he says to his followers, don't you realize that you're more valuable than these birds, which God provides for them everything you need? And this encourages believers, of course, it encourages us to just simply try and get our lives into a position where we just trust in God's care for us. And the fact that that is underpinned by God knowing our inherent value and what we are to him. Now, I believe this passage is deliberately placed juxtaposed with the previous one which we looked at yesterday. Because look at what he says. He's talking about birds. He's talking about sowing and reaping. He's also, yesterday we heard about this guy who was thinking so much about tomorrow that he was planning new barns and storehouses. All of this is meant to remind us back because it's coming out of this same sort of agricultural metaphor picture that he's using, the one that we looked at last time in the parable he used. The one who was already rich, this guy yesterday who already had a bumper crop, was trying to figure out a way of dealing with, well, what should have been a wonderful problem of having too much of an abundant crop, thinking I'm going to have to tear down my existing storehouses and build even bigger barns. 
So this teaching today is connected to that which we did yesterday. And I'm certain of that because, as I said, the opening passage of today's passage was the word therefore. So today is what we're meant to extrapolate out of it. Today is the benefit that we're meant to get out of applying what we learned yesterday in the sense that we don't need to worry if we follow this strategy. So Jesus is essentially saying, don't worry about those things. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't sow. Should you still plan for the future? Yes. Should you sow? Yes. Should you reap? Yes, absolutely. Should you have a barn? Well, yes, you should. You should have a plan, a strategy, a place to store up and create a level of security for yourself and your loved ones. Of course, we need to go to the supermarket. Of course, we need to buy groceries. Should we have clothes in our wardrobe? Of course. That, but what Jesus is really saying, he's saying, yes, you can do that stuff, but you mustn't worry about that stuff. And, and, and you don't worry about that stuff by making it important in your life. More importantly, by making it the focus of your life. It's saying that you can get on with serving the kingdom of God in the knowledge that God's actually going to take care of all that other stuff, all that other stuff you used to worry about. Now, as illustration of the ravens, I think it's worth just drawing a little bit, unpacking that a little bit more, because this is very similar to something that he taught on the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in Matthew. You may recall in the Gospel of Matthew, he also talked about birds, but that time he didn't use ravens as an illustration. He specifically talked about sparrows. So why ravens this time? Well, I think I can help and clarify the difference you see, sparrows were birds that had little value. They were of a low value, but they had a value. But according to the Mosaic law, ravens were considered of no value. In fact, beyond that, they were considered unclean birds and the least respected of all birds at that time. They had no sacrificial value whatsoever in terms of the sacrifices that could be offered. So he's saying, look, God not only feeds the birds, we've talked about that in the past, he's saying God even feeds the ravens, the type of birds that have no values, the type of birds that contribute nothing. They don't even choose to live anywhere. They're scavengers. They don't set up nests and barns. Yet still, God chooses to feed them and provide them what they need in a daily, in, in a daily manner. So they're not in any way a valuable birds, yet God cares for them. So this is how we are to understand and handle such things such as worry and anxiety. We've got to remember that God takes care of everything. And he uses this exaggerated limit, if you like, setting no limit, rather, to the value that God places in terms of his creation by caring for everything. So to be rich in God, we've got to remember that God feeds the birds and he even feeds the bird brains like you and I. Then he raised this other thought. Which of you, by worrying, can add an inch? A cubit, actually, he says to your stature. Now, a cubit was a measurement from the tip of the fingers to the elbow, usually considered to be about 18 inches. Some say it was a little bit longer. But the key point is clear. If I was to challenge you today to, to focus on trying to increase your height by just thinking on it, focusing on it, 
if, and you to do that for seven days, for a week, 24 hours a day, and if you came back and measured yourself again, how much height do you think you will have added? Well, clearly, you're not able to do anything about that. And this is a very uh, useful metaphor to describe what worry's like. He's literally saying worry is useless. It's as useless as trying to increase your height. That's the point Jesus is making. Worrying is literally a waste of time. Imagine the amount of time you've spent in your life thinking, pondering, worrying, have anxiety about something in the future, and it doesn't come to pass, and it, or it doesn't come to pass in the way that you were worrying about. What a perfect definition of a waste of time. It's almost like you might have well spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to make yourself taller. In other words, it's a dramatic picture presented about just how ineffective and useless worrying is. So he uses this illustration about the ravens and the second one about the flowers. And then this idea is wrapped together with all this teaching about, please, my children, stop worrying about the basic everyday essentials like food and clothing. Just focus on the kingdom coming. Now, at the end of yesterday's passage, Jesus concluded by urging us not to lay up treasure for ourselves on earth, but rather focus on laying up treasure in heaven. In other words, the switch comes from being rich towards God rather than trying to build up riches in this world. And being rich towards God really only involves having faith. James also, in his letter, New Testament letter, speaks about those people who are rich in faith. So you see, if you are rich towards God, the way to be rich towards God, rather, it all comes down to living the life of faith, in trusting God's provision. And by being rich in faith, then you trust in God's provision and you know and trust in God will give you what you need day to day and will also carry you through the problems, the issues that you will face day to day. So to sum this all up, Jesus instructs us not to have anxiety, anxiety about any of the things of this world. Of course, starting with the basic illustration of not worrying about what we should eat or drink, but he's going way beyond that. He's saying that we should not worry about anything. We should simply live in the knowledge and the faith that God plans to provide us with everything we need, even what we need to get through with the difficult things in life. And that is how we're able to deal with an anxious mind, to deal with the problems of worry and anxiety. In other words, it's an illogical waste of time doing about those things. It's not logical to do this and have anxieties if you truly are trusting in God and believing in the character of God and how much he cares for you. Now, the Greek phrase translated anxious mind in this passage, it's intriguing because it's a passage that it's a word rather that's used to describe a ship caught in a storm. It refers to being tossed all over the place. So both in James and both here, the term anxious mind is used to refer to this idea of having a personality where, where you're a bit like a ship cast adrift in a, a, a storm. In fact, in James 1.6, he is comparing the waves of the sea uh, having the effect of driving and tossing 
that person towards danger because of this sort of instability in the life of this way of thinking. So the, the advice here by Jesus is, is don't let this uh, whirlwind of, of thoughts toss your life like a ship in a storm. So there's a crucial difference, a crucial distinction in how we should approach life here. Now, it's never one that says you should give up thoughts of working towards material things, having a life where you plan and you purpose to live out in a way where you can provide for yourself and provide security to other people you have responsibility for and you're of, but rather that you should approach these issues, these factors in life, without having any anxiety about it. It's about living a life in positive terms. The emphasis is about not making the security or the seeking of the material things become the center of your life, becoming the passion in your life it is, is for some people. That's the background of how he's saying, yeah, you, you, you live in the real world, you have to do these things, but you should not have concern about these things. And Jesus deals with it by saying and said, the important thing is to direct your focus, if you like, to serving God, to loving God, to building his kingdom on earth. It's more about focusing your direction and taking care of the things that concern God, his kingdom, his righteousness, expressing his love and mercy to other people. And by making that the first thing in your life, then that pushes the other things into the background. It makes those material needs. Yes, you can say, that's taken care of. I don't have to worry about anything associated with that aspect of his life. So Jesus is encouraging his disciples, as it says here, do not fear. Do not live a life of worry. Do not live a life of anxiety. Now, the climax of this section is in the final verses where it tells us that, in fact, not only do we not need to worry about these things, but we need to understand that it is God's desire, God's pleasure to provide for us and give us our basic needs. And trusting in the Lord, seeking his kingdom first, will result in God expressing those blessings to us. The contrast here for us is stark. For those who worry, they lack trust, they live a life whereby they fail to seek the kingdom of God, and there is a sense that that means they're not able to enjoy the blessing of living a life in peace and having a sense of security. And there's is an insight here that it will also mean that we're not going to be blessed with the rewards in life that God would want to and plans to give us. Now, in, uh, towards the end of this passage, there seems to be a rather strong suggestion that we should shell what we have and give it to charity. In fact, it's fairly clear. It says, you know, if you're struggling with this, maybe you should divest yourself of possessions, extend charity, and thereby accumulate heavenly treasures. Now, this approach sounds radical, doesn't it? But let me say, what Jesus is actually addressing here is the tendency in his age and especially in this age today is for people to have an attitude where they hoard to, they cling on to those possessions. And at the same time, usually, ironically, that goes hand in hand with worry. It's about trying to control, isn't it? That's what psychologists would tell us. However, 
let's be clear, this passage about giving away is not teaching about us as Christian believers neglecting any sort of sense of financial wisdom. I believe that as we're meant to have a budget, we're meant to be wise stewards of our resources. That's not being condemned by Jesus here. Jesus isn't advocating that we wander around with an empty purse or an empty wallet, with no clothes on our back, no advanced financial planning in place. The key message here is for people who are worrying. It is, you might say, if you tie it into the illustration of the guy with the the barns, the storehouses before, it's actually giving the cure-all here for people who are inclined to hoard, especially when it's motivated by anxiety, fear, or self-centeredness. It's very reminiscent of the foolish farmer in the, the parable, which we've just looked at yesterday, and he's tying this teaching in as a response and outworking of. If you consider the fear associated with worrying, it's usually around about not having enough in the future, an imagined future where you won't have enough. Well, Jesus says, if you're stuck in that place, you're stuck in that psychological place, there is one dramatic remedy for that fear. You see, often fear of being poor in the future is the thing that hinders us from generously supporting others today by generously living the kingdom life in this day, by encouraging others, by giving and alleviating their needs. So Jesus is challenging us here. If you're in the grip of a fear of poverty, what is not based in a reality, he suggests that the way out of that is to be more generous in your life, to give it and to help other people, and that way you are in fact storing up treasure in heaven. So this final verse at the end of this passage exposes the connection between the treasures of the heart and the fact that we are called on certain occasions when we haven't got the balance right to respond to that wrong way of living by simply giving generously of that which we have hoarded and stored up so that in a sense we're translating it from that worldly place into a treasure in heaven. Now sometimes the conventional understanding of this verse is actually reversed incorrectly I believe. Many would take this verse and try to preach that if you're right before God, he will give you, he will bless you. However, I believe what Jesus is presenting here is saying, no, what you're meant to do is give first and your heart will follow and that you will be rich in the blessings of God and that you're storing up treasure in heaven. So here's their ironically, a counterintuitive teaching of Jesus. When you are specifically worried or fearful about material needs, financial needs, Jesus provides a solution to trust God, to seek his kingdom, and yes, to be generous with other people. Not to the point of foolishness, not to the point of neglecting your financial responsibilities, but if your inclination is to hoard and to worry about the future by putting more and more aside, then the response to that is to switch it to make a decision to use those resources to meet the needs of others, to bless other people. And then your heart, of course, is more aligned with God's heart for other people. And then you are actually, in effect, storing up heavenly treasures. So the formula of this passage is clear. The pattern of this passage is clear is a better way of describing it. Don't worry. Trust God. 
seek his kingdom, and always, friends, be generous. Give generously because your heart is where you place your treasure. Is your focus on earth, on earthly things, or on heaven? So that's the deal. And if that's the case, and that's the insights, so why are we worrying? Well, let me close by saying two things. Number one, do not worry. Worry is wrong. Anxiety is wrong. I understand the caveats of clinical depression, clinical anxiety, but in the normal course of things, worry is unnecessary. It serves no purpose. It does nothing for it. It doesn't change the situation. It is literally useless, a waste of time. Sadly, some of us worry about everything all the time. But this passage, I know it sounds simple. God is saying, if you're a believer, if you've trusted in him, then you absolutely have nothing to worry about. The eternal has been taken care of. And number two, I wonder if you can guess what I'm going to say. Simply, friends, firstly, don't worry. And secondly, trust in God. That is the cure, the panacea for a life of worry. Life and meaning in life can never be found in hoarding or building up material possessions because that's not real wealth in God's economy. Wealth, richness in God's economy is about the depth of our relationship with him, the maturity of our spiritual relationship with our Father. You see, the beginning of worry as it comes into our life is the beginning of the corroding and the ending of our faith. As one increases, the other decreases. And the beginning of faith, therefore, the more we trust in God, can be, friends, the beginning of worry, anxiety, and fear in your life. And that's the sum of this, friends. You have a choice to face every day. You can go to bed and you can toss and turn, or you can go to bed and you can trust in God and turn over those things that you're worrying about to him and then live your life by seeking first the kingdom of God and not considering the things of this world as your primary motivation. I do hope you find that helpful. Okay, that's been good today, going through the wisdom and the words of Jesus Christ himself. I do hope you found it helpful. If you're here and you're not a regular, why not click on the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from? It won't cost you a penny, and it just means you'll get access to every single episode as they're posted in the future. The plan is to work entirely through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're well into it now. I've been doing this for a couple of years. Can I also recommend my new podcast, which was launched this weekend, which is going to be placed in the history directories on all the podcast providers to allow it to be positioned in a place where it hopefully it will bring more people who haven't considered the Christian faith or how God moves in the world by presenting 
God's plan and purpose through the world by 2,000 years of Christian history. I'm using it as an opportunity to look at the lives of Christian believers over the centuries in chronological orders, and it is in effect a history of the Holy Spirit in the thinking and the lives of people from the time of Christ walking the earth until the present day. So in a sense, it's a form of bringing the good news of Jesus and the power of living the Christian life within to the orbit of ordinary people who may not have thought of approaching it in the way that we do through the study of the word, through the fact of this huge genre of podcast interest, which is history. It's entitled uh, History of the Church, with a subtitle, Strapline 2000 Years of Christian Thought. And there's a link to that podcast within the episode notes page of this. The plan is to do an episode, eventually one per week. But as I'm putting that out as a separate podcast, because if I just keep it within the main Bible study podcast, and it's very likely that only Christians would find it. So that's going to be funded as a separate thing. I've launched it. I'm going to cover the cost for the first two years. But hopefully, if a few people are appreciating and liking it, they might begin subscribing it. And my plan and my trust is that, like the parable of the mustard seed, that it will grow and will become self-sustainable because people will value it enough to say, I want to hear another episode. So why not go over there and check that out? And even if it turns out that it doesn't receive the interest that it does enough to allow it to be self-sustaining and self-funding through that community of people, I shall still carry on the work. I shall just drop the episodes in as bonus episodes at the weekend. But for it to be effective in terms of reaching people outside the church, I feel it needs to exist as a separate entity, sitting in that history section alongside all those podcasts, which is the second most popular genre of podcasting behind true crime of all things. And way, way more people listening to that than are listening worldwide to religious podcasts, which is why I wanted to it over there and approach it from that uh, angle shall we say so that's hopefully uh, the beginning of something new that i think you'll enjoy it will also help you maybe get a wider picture and a wider understanding of how god by his spirit has moved through this world and that event we saw with the launching of the church in acts has been carried out through Christian history right up to this day that you and I can sit here on the internet and identify ourselves worldwide as followers of Jesus, disciples of him and members of that Christian community, that thing we call the church. So that's exciting news. I do hope you've enjoyed today and I'll leave it there for now. Why not connect with us on the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com? You'll find extra resources there and ways in which you can connect with this ministry. But we leave it there for now, and I hope I'll see you back here again tomorrow. So bye-bye for now.